everybody. Welcome to Stuff Said, the show where I, Greg Shegel, talk to people in the world of comics, cartooning, and beyond. Today's episode, or rather, this episode, because while I'm recording it today, you don't I don't know when you're listening to it. This episode is what has become the annual solo show. I do this marking the the next year of completion. What? I do this marking another year of Stuff Said, and this is the third such show, which means this is marking three years of Stuff Said. Three years of me talking to people, cartoonists, writers, artists, colorists, letterers. And yes, colorists and letterers are artists. Uh, I should have said pencilers and inkers. I'm sorry. Storyboard folks, animation people, store owners, convention organizers, nerd rock musicians... I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Fake people that don't exist. That happened. Go back and listen. But I've been doing this for three years, and I've enjoyed doing it. It's a bit of work. I actually thought of possibly doing this episode as a how-do-I-put-an-episode-together show, where I explain, you know, maybe I read an email that I send to somebody asking them to be on the show, and the process of setting that up, and what I do when I'm editing... But that's probably more boring than it needs to be. At least according to my informal survey where I asked a few people, Hey, should I talk about how I put a show together? And the reaction was... <laughs> lukewarm at best? I would not even say lukewarm. If you were playing that game in school where you had to walk around and find something, and they're like, you're hot, you're cold. This was cold. This was a cold situation. So, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about other things. I want to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about this show because that's sort of what is also the tradition. I talk about the show, sort of like a state of stuff said address. And I like to always go back to what the original plan was for this show. And the original plan for this show, the original intent was, aside from making a good show, which I think, I think I've done that. I think, I, I think this is a good show. I really, you know, I will pat myself on the back for that. I put together the show I want it to be. Which, it's a matter of taste, you might think it's terrible. I like it. So, aside from putting that show together, the idea was I would build an audience through this show, through the quality of this show, and I would use that as a platform to promote other things I was doing. So I would do this show for free, and then it would encourage people who like the show or like me to seek out the work I'm doing and pay for it. It's a model that comedians use pretty regularly and it appears to be from with, with a degree of success so maybe I, I have my you know, comic books and comedy are linked wires too tightly wound but this was the this was the intent to use one to promote the other and I have not done as much of the latter as I originally intended I I've not been promoting my own work and I haven't been producing enough to promote and there's been a lot of talk over the run of this show about making things about being creative about and about ownership of those things you create and there were some comments that I saw on the website or emails or what have you after the Scotty Young show maybe especially after the Chris Duffy show about you know maybe the show becoming a bit of a career therapy session I think might have been an exact phrasing I read for me for me as I talk to people it's you know Am I, am I seeking career advice? Am I seeking validation, etc.? And it is and it isn't. I mean, it's not in the way you 
might think that specific people who might think that because I know not everybody thinks that and now I put the idea in your head Common, a common thing that uh, I hear from folks is you don't explain the audio issues before you start the episode we won't notice them but I do it anyway because I notice them and I yeah so I haven't there's been a lot of that sort of career therapy stuff but it's not it's not the way you think it is I just got back from an 11 day trip I went to Kids Read Comics in Ann Arbor, Michigan I stopped for a few days in Atlanta, Georgia for a few things and I was at ALA the, the American Library Association Conference in Las Vegas and throughout that time I was having conversations with, talking to fellow cartoonists and comic book makers uh, librarians certainly uh, I visited a printer I stopped in at a bookstore to talk about uh, some stuff and it's it's that kind of talk having a real conversation that shop talk that peer-to-peer stuff that those conversations that are between the hey what are you working on these days between that line and talking about what podcasts you listen to or what movie you liked and who would play a better blah 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 in the next blah 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 movie that that kind of talk I like that stuff that's and that's the kind of conversations I you know I hope happen on stuff said be trying to recreate it I don't think that's the right phrasing for it but I will say looking back I think my favorite episodes of this show are the ones where it's less let's go through your biography chronologically or less that kind of thing and more where we just really have a legit conversation about being in the business of making comics cartooning etc that's shop talk which is different than comic shop talk uh, so that kind of conversation, those talks are a different kind of career therapy to keep using that word, even though I don't know if it entirely applies. It's the quote unquote, you are not alone kind of therapy. The, the notion that, you know, you're sharing an experience. So when I talked to Scotty Young about the challenge of doing your own thing while getting work for hire to, that keeps you from doing your own thing, it might sound to some like a guy complaining of, or, or being woe is me because I'm not, I'm not drawing a children's book where you don't have to draw panels and it sounds like a blast. But for, it's not really that. It's more two guys finding common ground and common experience. And I think, yeah, I think that is therapeutic. I think, I think a lot of people listen to this show because of that same reason. You're hearing people share an experience that you as a listener might have. And I think that's... I think that's kind of awesome, and I like it better than what's your next project or how did you break into comics? How did you get your, you know, what was your first comic you read? I'd, I'd sooner learn that information and then ask questions about that. But I don't want to, it's funny, it's a solo show, and I was about to say, I don't really want to talk all about me, but that's pretty much what this thing's about. Right? I mean, it's a solo show. There's totally nobody else here. Just me. No guest. But that's what a solo show means. Okay. So one of the things that comes up a lot in all those conversations I've had where we're comparing notes or I'm learning something from somebody about how they go about doing their work or working with an agent or what have you, whatever the case may be, the thing that comes up a lot is doing your own thing. In the Duffy episode that I mentioned earlier... 
I mean, he flat out said, you need to do more of your own comics. And he's 100% right. And I knew he was right. And what's not in that recording, what's not in the recording with Scotty Young or anybody else I talked to as these scenes came up, is that I have been working on my own thing. I talked about it a little bit in the last show, the group show. I'm, I'm writing and drawing and creating a graphic novel. And I'm prepared to talk about it now in more detail because I'm in the home stretch. I mean, this thing is written, it is drawn, it is lettered. I've colored one-fifth of it. <laughs> I shouldn't say exactly how much is colored because now that puts me on a clock. But basically, I'm moving forward with this book. And it's at the point now where I'm comfortable to talk about it. The book is called Picks, One Weirdest Weekend. That's P-I-X. One Weirdest Weekend. And this is... It's a, it's a book. Or it will be a book. I mean, barring complications and... <laughs> the, the road ahead is paved with complications. But barring any major catastrophes, this book will be available in print and digitally come September. That's the plan. There are a few shows between now and September, so if that changes, you'll certainly hear about it, or on Twitter or what have you, but that's what I'm doing. I've got this book, and I want to start promoting it now, because I want all of you who are listening, for whatever your reasons, to check this thing out, because some of you might like me, might be interested in what I make as a comic. Some of you might find me annoying and wonder, who is this guy who for three years has been talking to cartoonists about comics what's he got what's he bringing to the table well now you can find out with this book and you can really find out like right now immediately you can pause this and go to pixcomic.com p-i-x-c-o-m-i-c.com and you can straight up read the first chapter it's up there 20 pages full color for free I mean, ideally, that incentivizes you. You'll read it and go, ooh, this is cool. I want to see the rest. And you'll buy it. But maybe some of you just are genuinely curious as to what what my work would be like. And you'll see those 20 pages and be uh, completely unimpressed. And maybe I shouldn't put that idea out there either. So check this thing out, pixcomic.com. I'll promote it again at the end of the show. This is going to be the new thing, guys. I'm going to be promoting stuff. I'm going to be plugging my stuff because here's the thing uh, speaking of feeling like you're a part of something or feeling like you're not a part of something self-publishing is <laughs> that's no joke that is that is a tiny 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 pea in a in a enormous farm um, another weird little metaphor but basically you know odds are stacked the deck the deck the deck the deck is stacked against a self-publisher not everybody is Jeff Smith. Um, not everybody's Terry Moore. And Terry Moore is not as notable or recognized as Jeff Smith. And I don't mean any disrespect to Terry Moore. I mean, that's a guy who does everything himself. He's publishing and printing and selling his own book. So I'm, I'm going down that path. It's something I've, I've wanted to do for a really long time. And I'm doing it. So I hope the initial plan of this show to have the... To build that support system, maybe will come into play. Uh, at least, again, that's the plan. And you know, for more about the book, go to go to that website. I'm going to start posting behind-the-scenes stuff. I'll tell the story of where the idea came from and all that. I won't do that here. This show is going to be this show is going to be about something else after I'm done talking about myself 
for 10 to 15 minutes. I know it's exhausting, right? It's terrible. Um, and there's an um. I don't like those ums. I try to, I try to, I try not to do those. I'm going to leave that one in though. I'm not going to cut it out because I just talked about it and why cut all this out? This will be fun, right? So yeah, that's everything. I, that's, I think that was coherent. I'm self-publishing a book. Please buy it. I should have just said that. It saved us all a lot of time. Oh, boy. Okay, I want to take the second part of the show to tell a more specific story that's maybe not as much about me, although it really... There's always that sort of connection point, right? Uh, and much like the first year anniversary show, I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about somebody who I, I can't have on the show. I can't have Michael Ringo on the show because Michael Ringo is no longer with us. And I can tell you that if he was, if Michael Ringo was still alive, uh, there is no way I would not have had him on the show. I would have uh, I would have had him on the show a long time ago. He would have been... I would have made a special... You know, I would have booked an extra day at Heroes Con or something just to, just to sit with Mike and talk to him. Because, well... You're about to find out. You're about to find out my my story with Michael Ringo. So, first strap in for a lot of name dropping in the story you're about to hear, because I'm gonna I'm gonna say a lot of names, and yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Michael Ringo. So I'm going to talk about Michael Ringo. If you don't know who Michael Ringo is, which is possible, Michael Ringo is a comic book penciler who had notable runs on books like The Flash, Robin, Spider-Man in different incarnations. I think it was Spectacular and Friendly Neighborhood. Uh, A notable run on the Fantastic Four. He had a run on Superman. And he worked on a creator-owned book with... Todd DeZego called Telus, T E L L O S. More on that later, but that's that's who he was, or those are his credits at the very least. Um, yeah. So when I had Mark Wade on this show on Stuff Said, I can't remember the episode number. I don't have it in front of me. I read at the very beginning of that conversation a letter I had written but never sent to Mark, and part of that letter was how I picked up. The Flash, which he was writing at the time because of Alan Davis covers. Alan was the first comic book artist who I distinctly remember recognizing stylistically. I remember connecting his work on Detective Comics to his work on Excalibur and recognizing that Brian Braddock and Bruce Wayne looked very similar. And then I kind of became obsessed with Alan Davis, buying any book that had his name on it, I still have those Detective Comics issues. Of of the comic collection I have that was stolen, I still have those Detective Comics issues by Mike Barr, Alan Davis, and Paul Neary. They're awesome. But this isn't about that. Anyway, the, the, so I was buying these comics because he did the covers, but the insides of these Flash comics were drawn by somebody I'd never seen, and that was Michael Ringo. And I dug it a lot. Like, a lot. And a lot of us who take to comics early, and I certainly did, 
uh, and start drawing early, as I certainly did, and keeping a sketchbook. I got my first sketchbook in the fourth grade. Uh, you can see throughout the years as the sketchbooks continue, you know, how the influences, which influences are coming across our eyes. So in my sketchbooks, you know, there's certainly a period where I was first approaching how to draw comics to Marvel way. And there's definitely a part where you can tell I was looking at uh, some Dungeons and Dragons books, particularly deities and demigods and the work by a guy named Jeff D. Uh, my weak attempts to draw like Alan Davis, certainly. Uh, you could tell when Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld sort of came across my path. Jim Lee, Wills Portacio, Dale Keown. I mean, the list continues of guys who I'd see what they were doing and and think like, ooh, how's, you know, how do they do that, that line? And you try and start, you start to incorporate it into the way you draw. And it kind of, a, from there is where your style develops. And with Mike's stuff, and, and I will probably alternatively refer to Mike Ringo as either Mike or Ringo. Uh, he signed his artwork, Ringo. So it's going to go back and forth. I probably will not say Mike or Ringo over and over again. I'm going to save the syllables for stories. Uh, but with, with Mike's stuff, it was different. I think it helped that I was a little bit older. I think I was in high school, headed towards college when I first saw his this Flash stuff. I, I The dates, I could look them up, but I, I'd rather not. I just want to tell the story. Uh, but I was I was older, and I think my skills were better, and I think I had a better hold of how I drew naturally, and you know I think if 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 I'd had those skills when I was much younger, I would have locked in much stronger to what John Bogdanov was doing, or Bogdanov. I'm not that pronunciation. I'm not 100 percent on, so my apologies. But his work on Power Pack, in hindsight, I mean I loved it, but I wasn't mimicking it in any way that I can remember. I mean, I was drawing power pack stuff, so in some way I was. But anyway, that's going off topic. The point is that Mike's work spoke to me, and I for sure started to draw like him. I for sure was, or at least I tried to. Um, His work was cartoony, which can sometimes be considered a bad word, but I liked it. Uh, and, And I liked it at the time in a way that I can speak to academically now, like, I can look back and be like, oh, this is what was happening. Uh, but at the time, I just thought it looked awesome. Um, I was drawing the eyes and eyebrows like Mike, or trying to, again, feet, Ringo feet, for sure, mouths. Uh, and, and the fact that Bruce Tim and Batman the Animated Series was around the same time, which was another major, like, new thing to, to take in, those are two huge influences, uh, not just me. I could I could tell you right now there are other people that could probably speak to those two guys as having a profound effect on how they were approaching drawing. And it just took a strong hold on how I drew for a long time. Even now, although it might maybe it's less obvious now as I've you know, you mature as you're drawing. But the point is Mike's stuff was like struck struck me like a bolt of lightning and I I, I think at that point I even leaned harder into the cartoonier looking stuff, for sure. And as a result, when I was submitting samples, I got a lot of comments that my work was cartoony. Oh, you might be good on a animated se- series style book, that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I've always liked that look, and I stuck to it for a long time. I mean, the next artist to kind of throw that kind of a shift in any real significant way, I'd say, is Carlos Pacheco. And the way he was drawing, where I was like, man, that is awesome. What is he doing with hands? What is he doing? Because... I mean, I could say Joe Madureira was a big deal, 
I think he was for a lot of people, but that was still in that cartoony wheelhouse. You know, maybe more manga influenced, anime influenced, but you know, Mike had started had certainly gotten that ball rolling from from Jump Street, the cartoony superhero. And not even you know, it's not like comics weren't ever cartoony before, but at the time, it was something new and distinct. Distinct is probably even the better word. Not even new, just distinct stylistically and all that. Anyway, jumping ahead, uh, I started working in comics, and I and I got a job at Marvel Comics as an assistant editor. Anybody that listens to this show has heard me mention that a bunch of times. In the event that this is your first time listening to this, that's. It's an important piece of information because everything else that is that's about to happen is connected to anyway. Seems like a pointless digression, but I got I was working in comics. I was working at Marvel Comics. I was an assistant editor to Tom Brevoort, and it was through that process that I got to meet Mike and meet. Really, was over the phone at first. I don't entirely remember what begat that first phone call. It was. I mean, Tom had worked with him before. They worked on the Amalgam comic Spider-Boy, which Tom still talks about as one of his favorite books he's ever edited. Um, And it's a great book. So if you're able to find it or find it in a collection somewhere, it's it's awesome. I remember liking it when I was in college and thinking it was awesome. So he, you know, there you go. Uh, It was at the time, though, I think when I when I spoke to him, he was either calling to see if he'd want to work on something. It might have been this this Avengers series or miniseries that had been in a file waiting to be drawn for ages. Or it might have been just through calling Richard Case, who we had hired to draw a Nighthawk miniseries. Uh, And Rich was Mike's inker on Spider-Man and other things. And they shared a studio. The studio was called Artemis Studios. So I don't entirely remember how I got on the phone with Mike, but it's probably all connected i mean that i guess that doesn't really matter what matters is i was talking to michael ringo and that was awesome Uh, i've joked in the past in episodes about how much time i spent in the marvel bullpen hanging out with the production team probably not doing as much work as i should have been doing and how i was always surprised that tom never got on my case about that but honestly i spent probably as much time if not more inside the office with Tom on the phone just just gabbing with people I mean pencilers inkers letters colors I would talk I remember talking about music and gardening with Jim Novak I remember talking about uh, Kurt Vonnegut and Simon and Garfunkel with Jerry Ordway although I might have talked about Simon and Garfunkel with John Workman but I think it was Jerry Ordway that I talked about Simon and Garfunkel. I know I talked about Jules Pfeiffer with John Workman a lot. John Workman would send me articles about Jules Pfeiffer as I was beginning that obsession. I remember having a conversation with Paul Smith about making pizza at home and him talking about how important a pizza stone was in that process. I don't know if I've told that story on here in the past, but I, I, I think that's great. I talked a lot with Sal Buscema about family and just life and quitting cigarettes. My dad had quit smoking cigarettes. We talked about that, I remember. I know I talked about movies a lot with Carlos Pacheco and with Mike and Rich because they would both get on the phone at the same time when I would call. It was kind of like a like a party line. 
I mean, this was the late 90s. That, I think, even was a thing still at that point. But I would call either one of them, and the other one would get on the phone, and the three of us would just, we really would just talk. Like, you'd get the work stuff out of the way, and then it would just be straight-up hangouts on the phone. We'd talk about things that were funny, comedy stuff. I would tell them about this radio show I was listening to. We talked about food and comics and art and drawing. I mean, it was all, I mean, I don't I just said I mean twice in a row, but and it doesn't even mean anything. I mean everything I'm saying, obviously. The point is, this was a guy whose work I was so enamored of, and it was drawing, you know, at a certain point, drawing like him or trying to again. And now we were all buddies. And, and the art talk was especially awesome because that's where so much stuff comes together in my head at the time and in hindsight and made a lot of sense. So I believe he was drawing, no, he was drawing Spider-Man at the time, but I think TELUS was around the corner. There had been some TELUS stuff that had gone out into the world. Yeah, because it probably would have been 99 when I, when we had this con- this specific conversation. And and by the way, TELUS is great. And I always pronounce it Telos until I heard Todd DeZago pronounce it Telos. And I figured he wrote the dang thing. He would know. So it's Telos. And it's weird to say it that way after so many years of saying it the other way. But say la vie. That book is awesome. The story is fun and cool. And it takes a turn that I can only say is worth experiencing yourself when you read it. And the art, holy moly. The art was beautiful. It was Michael Ringo, inked by Rob Stull, colored by Paul Mounts. And after long runs on The Flash and Robin and Spider-Man, Mike, he was drawing a whole different deal. I mean, there were anthropomorphic animals, pirate ships, pirate stuff, swords and magic. And and he was working with one of his best friends, Todd DeZago, who they worked on Spider-Man together for, for years. You cannot look at TELUS and not register that Mike was doing, if not the work of his career, the work he wanted to do. I mean, this was, this was you know, peak performance. It's the only way I could explain it. Top shelf Mike Waringo. As much as you might want to, his Spider-Man was great, and his Flash was awesome, and his Fantastic Four was rad, and his Superman was beautiful. This TELUS is where it's at. So, yeah, he was doing the the work of his life. And it's interesting because a lot of times I would talk to Mike. You know, he he was, he would sometimes be frustrated or bored or, uh, you know, felt like he was typecast in some way because he wanted to do all the stories. You know, I remember him telling me he wanted to do a crime story and he wanted to do, you know, like a mob crime story thing. But he was, people would say his work was cartoony or whatever, but he he really, he could have done anything. I mean, come on. I do remember one time after I'd left Marvel and I would, I would call and chat with him, he was working on FF and he was complaining about an issue that I think took entire, the entire issue took place inside of a movie theater or some kind of a theater. And he was getting really annoyed. He didn't want that to keep going because he didn't want to keep drawing all those seats. Uh, or that it, you know, the other thing he would talk about is that his work was getting stiff 
Like he felt like his he was stiffening up his gestures and his poses from the sketch to tight. He was noodling too much. Um, I remember him kind of being frustrated is not the right the right word, but maybe annoyed. I don't know. But you know, Telus was coming out and it was he wasn't make they weren't making any money off of this thing. I mean, create your own books or you know, Walking Dead is the anomaly. Although things have changed now, and twenty years later, but you know he wasn't. I think he even said that that book cost him money to hire Inker and the colorist and all that. I think he was, uh, yeah. So I think he got frustrated. Yeah, frustrated again. I don't know if that that might be a projection, but I remember him kind of wondering how that was the case while Battle Chasers or you know, Ed McGuinness's work were getting such props and acclaim. You know, because Mike was doing the the cartoony stuff first, and as I say all this stuff about the the frustration and like, hey, what's going on over there? I, I wonder if Mike and I were more similar than than even I ever realized. Uh, <laughs> although again, that could be a projection on my part, but I, I mean, I do remember those conversations. I'm not I'm not making that up. This is not this is not a Rex Lee situation. Anyway, the time we were talking about Telus, Telus, uh, we were talking about that, and you know, I was talking about how much I loved the way he was drawing the animals, and that got us talking about Disney movies and Disney animation, and boom, there it was. I mean, the the influence behind the influences, right? So it helped me recognize, oh yeah, a lot of the way I draw is clearly influenced by Disney stuff. I grew up watching Disney stuff. And Mike was not dissimilar. I mean, he was drawing animals, and there's a certain way Disney draws animals, and you could see it as an influence in in what Mike was doing. And, you know, Mike knew the Japanese anime and Miyazaki and all that stuff, certainly more than I did. And I remember him talking about Nick Cardi, who he loved, and other artists as well. But that core, that sort of nucleus, if I can get scientific, was hard to ignore. And I realized that I had that same nucleus also uh, it was underneath it all, even underneath, you know, John Buscema and Hadra Comics to Marvel way. You know, I mentioned John Bogdanov or Bogdanov it's probably in there too, some of that nucleus. And that's probably why I was drawn to his work on Power Pack. I don't know if it's in Alan Davis, might be, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, Alan Davis looks a little more in the Neil Adams world, but who knows? Neil Adams might be more influenced by Disney than it lets on in the work. The point was, in that moment, in that conversation, I felt like while I would never draw like Mike, and I think at that point I'd start to draw differently enough where it wasn't just me trying to draw like Mike, there was a connection in the in the grand spectrum. And... We liked a lot of the same things. We drew on similar things. We reflected that in similar ways in how we physically drew with our hands and pencils and stuff. And and you might be rolling your eyes. You might be thinking like, oh, look at this guy comparing himself to Michael Ringo. But I'm telling you, it's how I felt at that time. I felt connected, not as an equal. I'm not going to say like, yeah, Mike and I were then like, you know, on the on the same level. No way. But as someone who is maybe coming from the same place is how I felt. Like, oh, we're coming, you know, that 
that notion of similar roots or taking a similar approach. There was, I don't know, I felt a, a kinship to what Mike did and what Mike was doing. And it, again, in hindsight, I could say that's what was your initial draw, but even that might not be accurate. The guy can draw and it was awesome looking. I'm not the only one to think that. So there was that whole conversation. That was, that had to have been in 99 because he was working on TELUS as far as I know. But tracking back, this story, these stories are clearly not chronological. Tracking back, in June of 1998, I attended Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. This was my first convention ever as a professional. Uh, and my first convention as an employee of Marvel Comics. And I am not prone to hyperbole or huge declarative statements. Anybody who knows me can tell you that. But if it's not still my best convention experience, it's top three or four for sure. That I can't readily think of a better one probably tells you something about where this experience ranks. So tracking a little bit back from there, it's a show I lobbied to go to. Like I wanted to go to Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina when I was at Marvel. I asked, I think I had asked... Bob Harris and I asked the guys who organized the conventions and I feel like a jerk because I don't remember the the one guy's name who did all that organi- organizing. He was a very nice guy. I mean, we hung out when we were there. Uh, but I wanted to go. And I wanted to go because I knew a bunch of the people that were going to be there. And I knew Mike was going to be there. I knew Rich was going to be there. And I spent so much time talking to them on the phone. I wanted to meet those guys in person. And I was an assistant editor. I'd been working at Marvel for all of six months. Like, it turns out it would be a fifth of how long I would totally be there. But I was there not even a year. But convinced somebody because I got to go. They sent me to North Carolina. I was all of 23 years old at this point. And I'm being flown to a convention. They put me up in a hotel. I had my own room. To this day, I barely go to conventions and have my own room. I'm splitting with somebody. I got the badge. It was awesome. It was essentially a license to talk to anyone and everyone. I'll tell you this, and I'm almost certain this probably still holds up. Uh, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and and I'm an assistant editor at Marvel, is maybe you know, a surefire opening line you can use at any convention when you want to talk to someone and have their attention. Like, for sure. And I can tell you, it's very different saying that than saying, hi, I'm so-and-so, and and I used to work at Marvel. You you just don't have... It's like a skeleton key that will open any lock to say you work at Marvel. To say you're editorial at Marvel, forget it. You you have people's attention, even if you're a 23-year-old idiot. And I wasn't an idiot, but I I was a kid. I was a kid, and I was just... Having an awesome time. Here are highlights of the show. And they don't all involve Mike or Rich. But, I mean, to top it off, it was meeting and hanging out with those guys. And also meeting the rest of what I would call the Artemis crew. Because I don't think the studio was much in in flow anymore. I think Chuck Voykiewicz was still there. But Casey Jones had left. But I met him. And I would later go with Casey to California to learn how to draw Road to El Dorado stuff at DreamWorks. Another story for another time. Uh, I met Todd DeZego there. I met Craig Russo there. I was just meeting a ton of people. 
Mark Bagley, one night we were at dinner. He bought me dinner, which was crazy. Didn't have to happen, but he did. I was working with him on Thunderbolts at the time. John Amita Jr. was there, and I was at the I was at the booth when he was doing sketches and signing things. And at one point, he was drawing Thor for a fan. And at the time, he was drawing the Thor comic book for the office I was working in. So he's there drawing Thor for a fan. And I was sitting next to him with nothing else to do. So I said, John, what should I draw? And he said, draw Thor. So I'm sitting there next to John Amita Jr. And we're both drawing Thor. And it was somehow more fun than intimidating. And we had a whole conversation about Thor's helmet and whether the feathers on the helmet were fe- the wings on the on the helmet rather were feathers or if they were metal. I always thought they were metal. John said they were feathers because the way they were colored is the they were colored the wings were colored white whereas the helmet was sort of white with blue shine uh, reflective lines and things like that. He might have also said that's how it was in Kirby comics. I can only remember so many details, guys, of these stories. I know at one night at the hotel bar, I was talking to a whole bunch of people, telling stories about working with Carlos Pacheco, and that was great because people, you know, like hearing great stories about great artists, and Carlos is awesome. I met an inker named Greg Adams, who would ink stuff for uh, Tom Brevoort. He was inking a Daily Bugle miniseries when I was an intern, and when I mentioned that to him, he gave me a cover. He just gave it to me. This, a, this was, I think, Carl Kershaw's first professional work. I have one of these covers. There's no way that would have happened if I wasn't a Marvel employee. Like, the whole thing is just bonkers. Somebody just gave me that. Although now I think about it, I've given away SpongeBob pages. You get a, enough stacks of pages, you, you just start giving things away. Uh, and I certainly again continued to hang out with Mike and Rich anytime I had a break from from the Marvel booth I go and hang out with those guys and their intern who was a gal like whose name I can't remember and I'm sorry and Casey Jones it was it was awesome I know I keep saying that but it really was and in contrast to what I said before about being a Marvel employee and being that the great in to talk to people this wasn't that this was legitimate fun hangouts these guys for for lack of a better term took me in i got the i got the distinct impression they liked me and damn it if that's not the coolest feeling in the world i mean to be to know that people like you in general feels awesome to know that people who you admire and like like you come on i mean this is a that's good stuff that's good stuff and makes you feel Makes you feel good. I don't know how many other times to say it. But the the real true highlight, the thing that maybe capped the whole thing off, was it was either Friday night or Saturday night of the convention. And it was the weekend that Disney's Tarzan was opening. So a bunch of people, a group of us, went to go see Tarzan. I think I was with... The, that Artemis crew, Mike and Rich and Casey and Todd and Craig and Chuck. And we all got, we all went out there in a car and we're all hanging out in the theater. And there were comic creators all over the theater. 
like you'd look around, and at this point, Wizard Magazine had existed, so I was recognizing people. And you just sort of look around and like, holy smokes, the whole back row is Gaijin Studios. Like Gaijin Studios of the late 90s. So Adam Hughes and Brian Stelfreeze and Carl Story, they're all hanging out there. And, and everybody's having a good time. Ron Garney is there. Tim Townsend is there. I, I just I remember being in that theater with Mike and Rich behind me and Craig and Todd, I think, like to my left or right. I don't know. And just thinking like, this is so, this is the coolest thing. I can't believe this is happening. And then to watch this movie, which was super rad, that I spent the rest of the show drawing in my notebook, you know, Spider-Man poses in Tarzan, Spider-Man in Tarzan poses, or just Tarzan over and over again. Um, yeah, and then we all talked about the movie and how awesome it was. Forget it. I mean, there's... There's literally, I know I was on a panel. I know I was on a panel at that show. And I know it was an interesting experience. And there were people on the panel that were memorable. I can't remember who was there. It might have been Ron Garney. It might have been John Amita Jr. I don't know. I didn't know there was a panel. Maybe there's a record of it. I can see if I can look that up. Panels from 1998 Heroes Con. But it's that, it's the hanging out. And it's going to that movie that were truly like truly wonderful experiences in comics and and a lot of that is you know there were a lot of other creators there but as a guy who was such a fan of mike come on that's awesome so speaking of mike and speaking of things and and dynamics with him that that make you feel good here's another here's another story uh, i used to call mike and rich all the time i I called them even after I left Marvel. I was working at Nickelodeon and I had the free long distance, so I would call them. I also used to call Carlos, for that matter. I made calls to Spain. So, yeah. But when I was at Marvel, I called all the time to offer Mike jobs. Hey, Mike, do you want to work on this cover for so-and-so? Do you want to do this miniseries? But there was, an, uh, there was an Avengers cartoon in the late 90s called Avengers United They Stand. And... As this cartoon was being developed, I was sent in a very strange, uh, strange, I mean, I worked at Marvel Comics, but I was sent to a meeting. Here's who's at this meeting. It was me. It was Joe Quesada, who at the time was with Marvel Knights. And it was Adam Polina, who I think was drawing X-Force at the time. I'm pretty sure that's what he was doing. So it's the three of us in a room with Avi Arad, who, if I, if I remember the timeline correctly, Toy Biz had acquired Marvel by then. So Avi Arad was essentially president, who's something, he was something important. And he was talking to us about this Avengers cartoon. The, the reason for this meeting was that we were, we were sent to go to this meeting because we were going to then take the information we had and work up designs that may or may not be used for this cartoon. Uh, I, yeah, I was sent, I remember, I think, I think Bob Harris suggested I go, and maybe it was because he knew I was drawing. I mean, I'd drawn some comics while I was there. Maybe he wanted somebody from Marvel Editorial to be there and sent me, I don't know, but I was sent, and it was kind of awesome to be included. But it's still so weird when I think about it. And the meeting itself 
was kind of bananas. I've told this story a bunch of times off mic, but basically it was a it was a case of being told about this cartoon and it was it really was in its barest sense like hey we're making this cartoon this is what i think of the avengers but i want them all to be toys so the the premise was the avengers were the avengers but they all put on armor different armor that would accentuate their powers or sometimes or somehow rather uh create their powers the point was they all had armor. The bit was that because then you would sell toys that had different armor and, you know, certain lines like I remember him saying, I want this to be colorful like candy. Uh, he described a situation where Hawkeye would have parts of his armor that you could piece together and he would make a crossbow. He thought the Falcon was like should have a Falcon mobile. Like there was a lot of bonkers things happening, but. The walk away was work up these designs. And I think I came up with some pretty sweet designs. Um, nothing really, nobody used them. But I thought they were pretty cool. Anyway, with a new cartoon, I know I, I, I didn't give the full, uh, the full 100% effort on that story. Because that's, that's just a whole other thing. And I don't want to bog down. But suffice to say, if you ever, if you ever see me in person... And there's time. I'll tell. I'll. I'll give a proper version of that story. If you. If you. You know. If you're interested, we may have other things to talk about in the moment. But as it turns out, with a with a cartoon series, there's a tie-in comic book series. That's just how you know there was Batman the animated series and there was Batman Adventures, and then that's just how how the game is played, I guess. And Tom Brevoort and I, as the Avengers office. We were editing this spin-off series. Although I I think, as I think about it, I think Tom specifically lobbied for it. I think his idea being that if there had to be another Avengers comic, even one based on a cartoon, he wanted our office to, to oversee it. And it's it's really weird to think of that relative to right now because at the time, the Avengers comics were the Avengers... Avengers Forever, which was a limited or maxi series, 12 issue series, and this third book, Avengers United We Stand, based on a cartoon. Three Avengers titles. That's it. That's kind of amazing, all things considered. But yeah, comic about a cartoon, and uh, not a great cartoon. If you, if you ever saw it, all due respect, it wasn't a great cartoon. And a side, uh, side note, well, not a side note, relative to the whole story. In the development of that series, a pair of artists came to visit Marvel. Uh, two fellas from Spain named Javier Polito and Marcos Martin. And they came office to office and they showed us their work. And both guys were excellent. Both guys were really good. But I remember immediately wanting Marcos to draw this Avengers book. I thought his work was awesome, and Tom didn't necessarily disagree, but, you know, Marcos was brand new, like fresh out of the, fresh out of the womb. That's probably the wrong phrasing, but in, in a very rare bit of business, Tom said that I could hire Marcos to do samples, like paid samples. It was the first and only time I ever got to pay somebody for samples. I'd, I'd had writers submit stories and had to be very explicit that they weren't getting paid for the pitches but I got to pay Marcos a page rate establish a rate blah 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 
to do. Wait, maybe I didn't. Maybe there's just a rate for samples. Anyway, I got to pay him to do samples, and that was kind of cool. I would actually love to see those samples pages. I think I emailed Marcos about that at one point, and he said he'd he'd have to look for them. But he did the samples, and as it turns out, he didn't get the gig. Not my call, but funnily enough, like a year or so later, he started doing Batgirl Year One over at DC for Matt Idelson, who was at Marvel at the time, and then at the time when I was there, and then he went over to DC, and then Tom eventually did hire him to do the Doctor Strange series, The Oath, the miniseries, with Brian Vaughn, and you know, Marcos Martin is amazing, and The Private Eye, which is also by Brian Vaughn and Marcos Martin, is outstanding. But anyway, I was almost the guy who broke Marcos Martin in. I tried. But this is not a story about Marcos Martin. That's a call that a, a sidebar. It's a new series based on a on a cartoon that's not particularly great. Um but it was a good series. We 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 were specifically treating it like a regular comic book, not a cartoon spin-off. The writer was Ty Templeton and he was writing, you know, done in one Avengers stories. Uh, the artist was Derek Oquin, uh, and he was drawing the way he drew, not in any... He wasn't trying to match an animated style or a style guide of anything like that. Uh, but you launch a book, you want to launch it strong. And I said to Tom, hey, Tom, how about we ask Ringo to do the cover? Hey, first issue, Michael Ringo cover. I think he hadn't done work for Marvel in a little while because he was working on TELUS, I think, if memory is serving correctly. Uh, and Tom's like, yeah, of course, because who doesn't love Mike? So we call Mike up, or I called Mike up, and I think at this point I'd been at Marvel for a couple of years, and I'd asked Mike to do so many things in the past, but on this job, he agreed. He said he would do it. He would draw the cover. Awesome. I put together a bunch of reference for the for the characters and the designs. I sent it off. It's entirely possible an intern did that. <laughs> uh, I can't remember if I had an intern at the time. If I did have an intern, they gathered the reference and sent it off. But there's a chance there was no intern at the time. Uh, if you were my intern at that time, email me and stake your claim. It might have been Sumerak, possibly. could have been Resniak. But it could have just been me. Anyway, I get a call from Mike the next day, or maybe two days later. And he 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 did not realize what these characters looked like, what these TV show designs looked like and he he just and understandably I mean you look these things up and you go oh boy but he you know the thing kind of he wasn't feeling it kind of kind of soured on it he didn't particularly want to draw it but he also didn't want to renege on saying he would do it you know he wanted to to be be a man of his word so he says to me uh, I'll do it, uh, but I need you to do the sketch. I need you to sketch the cover. I need you to tell me what to do because I'm just not feeling it. Now, I'd done cover sketches before. I'd done cover sketches for our office when when things weren't quite clicking, or I've done, uh, I'd done cover sketches for Bobby Chase's office, uh, but I'd never done a cover sketch at an artist's request, let alone one I was such a fan of. Like, that was nuts. Uh, but I did. I worked up a sketch. I got it okayed by everybody in, in the process, and I sent it off to Mike, 
Rich Case, who shared the studio, was uh, was going to ink it. So off it goes. And the art comes back, and it's great. Uh, and and it, you know, it's a beautiful drawing. You know, it's these ridiculous-looking characters, but drawn well, drawn to look actually cool. And Derek Oakwin did the same thing, and Ty Templeton on covers did the same thing. Like, they made these these costumes work. But this first issue cover by Mike, I mean, it just looked so cool. It was great. And down in the bottom right where artists sign their work, it said uh, Ringo, the way he signed his work, and Case, the way Rich Case signed his work. And in between them were after Ringo. It said Ringo after Greg. They put my name on there. And I did not expect it. I, I couldn't believe it. It was totally amazing. Um, and when I called to let them know uh, we got the, the piece in the, in FedEx because that was the job, you let people know you got the stuff, uh, I, was, I, I was particularly thankful and effusive about that because that was, I mean, come on, right? Like a Michael Ringo drawing and my name is on it? I love it. Again, just, I feel I feel good remembering it. That was that was 1999. Mike died in 2007, and it was it was a shock. Nobody saw this coming. He was 44 years old, I think, if I remember correctly. And yeah, you you did not expect this to happen at all. Um, and I hadn't spoken to him in a long time. I think the last time I'd seen him was in 2004 at Heroes Con. And somewhere I have a photo from that where it's he and I next to each other and he put a uh, humorous thought bubble over one of our heads. I think it's his. No, it's over mine. I don't know. The joke is that one of us smelled bad. Uh, I'll, I'll try and find it. But yeah, I hadn't seen him in a long time. The last time I saw him, we were hanging out outside the bar area at that Heroes Con. He was with his brother and his sister-in-law. And it was, you know, that same kind of fun conversation about things that we thought you know making jokes and talking about brian regan bits and and that kind of thing uh, but yeah when he died it was not anything i mean there's no way anyone saw that coming i would i would check his blog regularly to see what sketches he was doing what awesome drawings were up there and it's still that blog is still up you can still see all the awesome stuff he had done his sort of warm-up sketches uh, and, you know, when he died, I thought about all the stuff I just told you about, all those little things. And I remember I almost wrote a, a an email to Tom because I think they were doing a, you know, the, in the letters page, I think of Fantastic Four at that point. And I didn't really bring myself to write something because I, I couldn't figure out how to encapsulate what I would want to say. I've never necessarily been the most concise, as you can tell from this long bit of business um you know and i think it was sad and there was a part of me it's like oh i you know because communication had gotten more sporadic there'd be emails here and there but we didn't talk like we had used to talk and you know as much as it bothered me that there wouldn't be more work from him especially telus which should have been bigger and i know he would have loved to do more of it and it would have been great to see him do more of it and see him and Todd 
have success with it because it's so good. Uh, but yeah, it bothered me that I wouldn't be able to to talk to him again, to have those conversations, to to keep being comic book pros together, see him at a Heroes Con, talk about movies and comics, and compare notes and experiences and laughs and and all that. And you know, I have at the risk of making this about me. I I have through all that time I have no Ringo originals. I don't have a sketch, nothing on a napkin, no pages. And it's weird cuz he's somebody who's had such an influence on me in the way I draw and he's somebody I knew uh that it's weird not to have I mean I have the comics. I don't have nothing. I have the comics, I have the stories. I have the photo. Uh but a few years ago I actually thought about that and started looking at pages and thinking to see if I could find something that that really sort of hit the mark. I'm like, this would be the thing to have. And you know, I, I there was one piece that I was like, that's the thing I need. That's well, need maybe needs the wrong word, but I started looking for that Avengers cover, the one I had done the sketch for, and and I didn't have uh, any luck. I even asked Rich Case if he had it. Maybe he had gotten that piece of art when Marvel divvied up the pages. Uh, he barely even remembered it. I don't think he even remembered it happening, which is funny on a whole other level. Uh, so that page is out there. That cover, rather, is out there somewhere. And there's definitely a part of me that wishes I can get a hold of it. And I'm sure whoever has it would be asking for a lot of money for it. Probably more than I could afford to pay. Uh, but, you know, in the off chance that I could, that's the one thing, the one physical object I would want as a as a personal memento of Mike and knowing Mike and working with him. And uh, I guess I almost, you know, I'd rather, more than anything else, it would have been so much better to be able to do this with him, to talk to him face-to-face and have an awesome conversation because it would be it would be good. There'd be so many digressions, and he was he was awesome. We talk about Italy. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I feel like I barely talked about his art and the way he drew. And, but I, I guess I did, right? I don't know. I just feel like these are all, like, interaction stories and not specific on how he influenced me. But you, I don't know. I don't know if I can necessarily explain all that in a way that's... I don't know. He was a total pro... Super nice guy. Nobody didn't like him. And his work was awesome. And I don't know if he knew how much everybody loved what he did. So it would have been great to to be able to tell him again and again. Thanks, Mike. And that rounds out year three. Wow. According to the internet, the third anniversary gift traditionally is leather. Modern times is crystal or glass. I'm looking forward to the fourth year, which is fruit or appliances. And apparently in the sixth year, it is candy or iron or wood. What is happening? Who comes up with this stuff? 
listen, the show has a website, stuffsaidshow.com. On that site, you can get all past episodes. You can look at show notes, bonus materials, artwork, things of that nature. You can also comment on episodes there. Again, stuffsaidshow.com. You can email me directly, stuffsaid at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg Schiegel, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. If you go to at Stuff Said, it will direct you to at Greg Schiegel. Trust me. The show is available on iTunes. I encourage you to go to iTunes and give this show a great review. Give it five stars. And if you want to leave a comment, you could say three years. Or you could say... If I could be like Mike, those are the two options for comments for this episode. If you want to put comments on iTunes, apparently it helps the show get noticed in the algorithm. I hear people talk about it all the time. I don't know how it works, but it's supposed to help. So help. The show is also available via the Acme Wave Projector network at acmewaveprojector.com. And I guess now is as good a time as any to remind you about PixComic.com, P-I-X-C-O-M-I-C, for everything on my new graphic novel, Pix, One Weirdest Weekend. You can go there, you can read the first chapter absolutely free, and see updates on when the book is available, and you can support the book that way. And speaking of supporting things, very soon I intend to do something that I was never quite sure if it would work. We're going to give it a shot. I'm going to open up a donut. Donut. Wow. Let me just give you guys a sense of of what's happening. It is 1 a.m. the night before this episode drops. It's July 3rd as I'm recording this. 4th of July is tomorrow. I just got today working air conditioning again after a month thereabouts. Admittedly, 11 of those days I was traveling. But clearly, I'm saying donuts instead of donate. If you want to donate donuts, that's nice too. But the point I was making was I'll be creating a donut. <laughs> I'll be creating a donate button or a donate or a support the show aspect where if you like the show, if you've liked the show for three years, if you are pro stuff said and want to support it, monetarily that opportunity is coming I don't discourage it and if you're wondering uh, what are you going to do with this money I mean you already want us to buy this book if you want to just support the show here's here's my intention one I'd use it to replace some equipment that might be awry and I would use it if there's enough of it to maybe expand the scope of who I talk to so for example if I can rent a car for a day I could go to people instead of having them come to me because I like to record in person. That's my bailiwick, what have you. And, not for nothing, you know, maybe I'll buy myself a sandwich. But that's completely optional. That That's that's not up yet, but it should be up within the next, before the next episode drops, which is July 15th. And that's going to be a cool episode. In fact, the next few are going to be pretty neat. But I don't, want to, I don't want to say too much in case something changes. So, there's all that. Picks comic, future donate situation, support situation. I should, probably, I should probably say support and not donate. It'll be a support stuff said 
Maybe it'll just say support stuff. I'm thinking out loud now, and I shouldn't. The theme song for Stuff Said is provided by Craig Chin, who is online at rudeanagrams.com. And for more about me, if you haven't had enough, if stuffsaidshow.com and pixcomic.com are not enough, go to hatterentertainment.com, H-A-T-T-E-R, entertainment.com, for more about me. That's three years. That's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time. La, 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 la.